Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I don't do this often. I'm using the NIV today. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And the word said, after. Say after. After they prayed. The place where there were meeting was what? Shaken. And they were all. Say all. Say it louder. All. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want to preach to you this morning the third message in this series. Next week will be the fourth and final message that we're talking about beneath the surface. Today we're going to talk about prayer and Pentecost. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your presence, Lord, in this place today. We thank you for your spirit that we feel moving so freely. We thank you for these beautiful, precious people that have assembled themselves together here today to worship you. Father, we pray for the next few moments you'd remove every distraction, every hindrance. You would anoint these lips of clay. Lord, I, I'm a worm and no man, as the psalmist said, but I ask that you would anoint these lips of clay, Lord, that they would not preach with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that your word would come forth today in power and in the demonstration of your spirit. I pray you'd anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what thus saith the word of the Lord to his church today. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it, what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. For the last few weeks, we have established that in our walk with Christ, excuse me, I'm going to get a drink of water, it is absolutely essential for us to go farther than just service, surface deep in our walk with Jesus. We must be deeply rooted in our faith, and we must know that what those roots are. And you don't understand the power of a root until you have to try to cut through one. Anybody ever been there? We bought a new house in 2020, and we bought an old house in 2020 and remodeled it. And I was out in the front yard last summer doing landscaping, and I found some roots that I had to get a, a, a saw to try to cut through the roots to get rid of them when I was planting the new landscape. And you don't realize how powerful a root is until you try to cut through one. And um, the smallest root can be extremely tough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, you can't hardly cut it. You can't hardly get it out. And sometimes it will tenaciously hold on to the tree and hold on to the root and you can't hardly even pull it up or get it out. I want to tell you, when it comes to our our walk with Jesus Christ and our faith, we should be the same way. Say amen, somebody. We should be rooted and grounded. It ought to be tough to pluck us up and pull us out or even cut through us. We ought to be rooted. Our root system is crucial and it's essential for life. And without the roots that I've been talking to you about the last few weeks, we'll be unstable and we'll waver and I'm going to tell you, we could be like a lot of other places and people, and we could go after every trend and every fad that there is in church and in the kingdom. So there's eight things around here that we call our core values, and these are things that we are rooted to. This is our root system. I'm going to go through them. They're hanging on the wall in the lobby out there on those clear acrylics, but I'm going to go through them again very quickly. First of all, presence over performance. Pursuing the presence of God in our worship, not the performance of man. That's what you've experienced this morning. Encounter over entertainment. Striving to lead others into a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit, not to entertain them. Intimacy over industry. 
leading others into an intimate relationship with Jesus, not to make a name or a profit for ourselves. Purpose over programs, focusing on God's calling and purpose for our lives rather than the programs that we offer. Servanthood over status, humbly, humbly, say humbly. Humbly serving others like Jesus did, not obtaining status and positions of authority with men. Pleasing God over pleasing man. Our goal is not to make the church happy, but to make it holy. Because when the church is holy, God is happy. Kingdom growth over church growth. Jesus has called us to win the loss. That's what we're called to do. When we grow the kingdom, God will build his church. And last but definitely, most certainly not least, Jesus over everything. Jesus will always be the central focus of every single thing we do in this church. We are rooted to these things. So the first two things we talked about were purpose and praise. We're rooted to purpose in the first message because we understand that we individually and also we corporately have to understand our purpose in order to fulfill our God-given design and destiny. We are rooted to praise. I want to tell you, our 845 service this morning, I mean heaven just came down in this place. We are rooted to praise because you will find that your victory and your peace and your joy is directly rooted to your willingness to and involvement in praise. We are rooted to people. We talked about this last week. We are rooted to people. All people. Jesus was rooted to people. People that didn't like him. People that spit on him. People that betrayed him. Jesus was still rooted to people. And we must be rooted to people too. You know what? Without a true compassion for people, we're just playing church. Without a true compassion for people, we're just playing church. We must be rooted to this place. I believe that God has situated us here, right where we are, for such a time as this. We, I believe, are called to impact this city. Are you with me this morning? I believe God has called us to impact this city. God could have placed us anywhere, but he hand-selected this place, this location for us. So I want us to examine the next two roots this morning that bring us life, and those are prayer and Pentecost. Let's begin by talking about prayer this morning. Now we all know that prayer is vitally, it's a vitally important spiritual discipline. Uh, I understand that many of you uh, this morning have probably heard countless messages on prayer. Maybe you've read a lot of scripture on prayer. And many of you have probably read books on how to pray. So I'm not going to look at the way to pray today. If you need help for that, on that I can suggest some scripture to you, some other resources. But I want to look at prayer a little bit differently this morning. Because see, I've discovered that it's easy to pray when everything's going well. Let me say that again this morning. I said, I've discovered that it's easy to pray when everything is going well. Granted, the prayer isn't very deep. It's not very prolonged. But praying when everything is well is easy. I think we learn more about prayer when we examine how somebody prays in the tough times. When our world is turned upside down. When nothing seems to be going right, that's when prayer really matters on how you pray. And I don't want you or this church to just be people uh, who can only pray when times are good. Are you with me? 
I don't want us to just be people who only know how to pray when times are good. I want us to be connected and rooted to some folks that know how to get a hold of heaven. How many knows there is a difference? I want to be rooted and connected to some people that know how to go to battle in prayer because prayer is a battlefield. I want to be rooted to some people that know how to go to battle in prayer when my life is going wrong, when hell is on sight. Are you with me this morning? When I need help in my life, and I think the best place to learn about prayer is Jesus. He's the best place in the scripture that I know of to learn about prayer. We read that Jesus prayed often. And that in and of itself teaches and speaks to us about the importance and the position of uh, prayer in our lives. And we often turn, and rightfully so, to the Lord's Prayer for instruction on the steps of prayer. But I think it's more insightful to look at how Jesus responded on the dark days. How Jesus responded on the painful days and and when his future was uncertain. And we get a glimpse into the importance of prayer in Jesus' life in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 through 44. Read with me. He said, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In other words, pray with me. Going on a little farther, the Bible said he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, Uh uh-oh, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let me say that again. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Jesus' very last prayer meeting in his life teaches us several things about prayer and it reveals that we must remain rooted to prayer. So I'm going to give you five things this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one, prayer is where we go when there's hard days ahead. I said prayer is where we go when there's hard days ahead. I'm sick and tired of hearing church people say, Pastor, I've done everything I know to do, so now I'm going to pray. Can I tell you this morning, we ought to start with prayer first. Before we even try to do anything we know to do, we ought to go to God in prayer. Prayer is where we go when there's hard days ahead. Consider, Jesus was facing his last 24 hours on this earth. Think about for just a minute what he's getting ready to go through. His day is going to be marked by spit, by a flesh-ripping beating, by betrayal, by scalp piercing thorns by nails by mocking by his mama's tears and then eventually even by death and that's a how many knows that's a bad day 
You think you've had some bad days. That's a bad, bad day. It's like the, what's the little children's book? The horrible, terrible, very worst, whatever kind of not so good day. Yeah, Maggie knows. She teaches a child care center, so she knows. But anyway, it's the worst day. And what happens on his worst day? Worst day? Jesus prays. Facing certain and painful death, we read in Scripture that Jesus turns to prayer. I want to ask you, what would you do if you knew that you were getting ready to face torture in your life? Who would you turn to? Who would you go to if you knew you were getting ready to be beaten, wrongly accused? Anybody ever been wrongly accused and receive a death sentence? Where would you go? What would you do? All you have to do is look around you and discover that most of us, if all you got to do is look around you in this world. Some of y'all ain't going to like this statement, but it is what it is. Most of us who are facing much less than that turn to alcohol. Ooh, I just hit a, I felt it, a tender bone. Anybody ever had a tender bone? I felt it when I said that. We turn to alcohol. I want to tell you something this morning. You won't find your help in a bottle. You won't find your help on a bar stool. Boy, it's quiet up in this church today. We turn to sex. It's going to get more quiet. We offer kids church. This is PG-13 right now. I'm sick and tired of the church being full of fornication and it's supposed to be okay. If God's word says it's not okay, it's not okay. Now, I know I'm not going to pack out every seat in the auditorium preaching like this, am I? Somebody's got to preach the truth, though. I'm afraid we're deceiving multitudes. And they're leaving this world unprepared. I want to tell you something this morning. If there's anything this preacher wants to do, it's that you leave this world prepared. You leave this world ready. And if God's word says it's sin and you're not going to find your help there, you're not going to find your help there. I know of one place. We just sang about it. Where can you go when you need help? I want to promise you every single time you go to Jesus, you'll get the help you need. Every single time. We turn to friends. We turn to shopping. We call it retail therapy. But it's bank account disease. Say amen, somebody. We turn to medicine. And medicine's okay if we need medicine. But I'm also afraid we're living in a society that wants to give a pill for everything. You know why? Because we run to the doctor before we run to church. Hello, somebody. We run to the doctor. If you're de- Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost all over me right now. If you're depressed this morning, if you're battling anxiety, if you feel like you can't get out of the bed in the morning, if you feel like you don't want to live, if you feel like you're worthless, if you feel like nobody cares, you don't need a shrink. You don't need a pill. You don't need a drug. You need an encounter with God. Woo! Hallelujah. We must turn to prayer again in our lives. Jesus was in the most difficult time of his life and he turns to prayer. Listen, we got to elevate prayer in our lives and understand that it's not just for the good times. As a matter of fact, if you know how to pray in the good times, you'll be prepared to pray in the bad times. 
It's for the, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. It's for the, I'm on the brink of disaster. I have nowhere else to turn. I think I'm going to lose my mind kind of days. Anybody ever feel like you're going to lose your mind? Sometimes your pastor does, in case you didn't know it. Number two, prayer. Those that are prayer warriors this morning know this is the truth. Prayer is hard work. Distractions are constant. When was the last time that prayer was easy in your life? I'm going to say it again this morning. Prayer is hard work. And in fact, Jesus' experience shows us that prayer can even bring blood to your brow. Why is prayer so difficult, Pastor? I'll tell you why. Because your flesh is going to fight you. You would rather sleep in than get up and pray. You would rather go on to bed than to pray before bedtime. I'm going to tell you, the enemy will also fight you. You, will, uh, you can be assured distractions will come. Are you with me this morning? You can be assured that distractions will come. The phones will ring. This was in my notes. The kids will cry. The show will come on TV that you want to watch. Prayer is difficult. It's hard work, but it's work that we must commit to. And so can I suggest to you this morning a different model of prayer? Uh, I want you to continue to map out 15 minutes here or there in your life. Continue to pull away as Jesus did. We need to do that. But I don't want you to under, underestimate the significance of continuous prayers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Bible says pray without ceasing. I want you to take heart what Paul's counsel said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. He said pray without ceasing. In other words, pray while you're driving. Pray while you're changing the dirty diaper. Pray while you're putting on your makeup. Pray when you're going about your day. Make prayer a constant part of your life, not just in the moments that you pull away, but let it be a part of the tapestry and the fabric of your life. Because I've discovered that the pull away moments are much easier if I've been in prayer throughout my day. I've already worked through those distractions. Number three, Prayer is how we deal with temptation. I'm going to preach here for just a moment. Let me read Matthew 26 and 41 again. He says, watch and pray so that you will watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus shares some wisdom with us here that you've probably already figured out. Your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. We, I'm saying we, will be tempted. You will be tempted at times. Prayer is where we go prior to temptation. See, it's not just enough to pray while you're being tempted. Listen to your pastor this morning. Jesus teaches us that we need to pray before we are tempted. Are you with me? See, the temptation that you're struggling with may not be so tempting if you had already prayed. The decision to or not to wouldn't be so challenging if you had prayed prior to being faced with the temptation. I want you to notice in Scripture that the disciples didn't pray. And when temptation came to deny the Lord and to run, they weren't prepared. And I wonder how many of us fall into temptation not because we didn't pray during the temptation. Because we all pray, oh God, get me out of this. But because we failed to pray, God Keep me from this before the temptation ever came. Pray before the temptation gets there. 
You won't, what's the Bible say? Sin is conceived when a man is driven away of his own lust and enticed. Pray against it before your lust drags you away. Pray through the temptation before you get there. As a matter of fact, won't you draw Is it all right to draw lines anymore? We live in a line-blurred church world. Boy, y'all are quiet today. We live in a line-blurred church world. It's sometimes you draw a line, sometimes people get offended. When I grew up in church, when they drew the line, you were like, oh, me, I need to get on the right side of the line. Nowadays, people are like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Uh-huh, right? You know why? I'm going to say it again. I've said it before. It's because we're living in a day and a time where we don't know the difference between offense and conviction. I said we don't know the difference between offense and conviction. When somebody preaches the truth, we don't have a right to be offended. Are you with me this morning? Only right we've got is to be convicted. I'm going to say it again. If God's word says it's wrong, I don't care what church, what preacher, what program tells you it's not. It's still wrong. Pray through the temptation. Draw some lines in your life as to what you will and will not cross. What you will and will not say, where you will and will not go, and what you will and will not do. And allow the time in prayer to solidify those areas. That's what it means to watch and pray. Number four, let me back up and say, because if you wait till you're tempted, you may have waited too late. Number four, prayer is where we find and submit to God's will. Prayer is the means of finding direction and where we find strength. Listen, you don't find it from any other place. Finding God's will and direction requires communication one-on-one with you and the Lord. It is after prayer in Luke 9 that the Bible said Jesus sets his face like a flint. What does that mean? That means after prayer, Jesus was able to come to grips with what he was about to face in Jerusalem. He became focused. He understood what he was about to go through. Listen, I can't tell you God's will for your life. But neither can anybody else. So stop looking for... Mm-hmm. Now I'm preaching to some Pentecostals, all the holy righteous folk. Stop looking for some preacher to give you a word. Stop looking for some kind of word to be given to you. Stop even praying and asking God. God, send somebody to me to give me a word. God's given you a book full of his word. Get alone in your prayer closet. Shut the door. Get a hold of God and let God speak to you for himself, for yourself. Nobody else can tell you God's will for your life. If you, well, help me, Lord. If your calling to preach came because grandmama or grandpapa said that you were called to preach, God didn't call you. If your calling to preach came because mama or daddy said you're going to be a preacher, God didn't call you. You need to get a hold of God, and God will reveal his will for your life to you. I told my daughter. Not too long ago, God will not speak to you, to somebody else about you before God speaks to you about you. You go talk to God and see what God says. And if it don't line up with what so-and-so says, in one ear and out the other. Number five, prayer must be repeated often. There's many passages in the Bible that demonstrate the validity of this premise. Jesus himself prayed all night on numerous occasions. His parables, he illustrated with knock and keep on knocking. Ask 
and keep on asking. And he emphasized the idea of much prayer and not giving up. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 11, Paul emphasizes God's favor coming on the basis of the prayers of many. Listen, he said, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us. How is it granted? In answer to the prayers of many. I want to tell you, God is, he not only hears your prayers, but God answers. Say amen, somebody. One of the most basic keys to the health of our church is the volume of prayer that is faithfully practiced by individuals, both in private and corporately. I thank God that we have a prayer group, a ladies' prayer group that meets every Tuesday at noon. But if that was the only prayer that ever went on in this church, we'd be a pitiful people. One church's motto says this, much prayer, much blessing. Little prayer, little blessing. No prayer, no blessing. No truer statement's ever been made. And I'm going to add this. A church that doesn't pray. Some of y'all are going to get mad now. A church that doesn't pray. A church that doesn't emphasize prayer. And a church that will not open an altar is not a church. That's a tough statement, Pastor Sean. Is it? Let me say it again. A church that does not pray. A church that does not emphasize prayer. And a church that never opens an altar is not a church. It's a pep rally for religious folks. That's what it is. We need to return to prayer. Jesus returns three times. Watch this. Also, stop worrying about who's doing what. Who didn't do this or who didn't do that when you're doing it. Oh, well, I've been faithful and so and so. She didn't come and he didn't come. And Stop worrying about it. You know what happened to Jesus? Jesus returned three times, and the disciples were sleeping all three times. But it didn't change the fact that Jesus still got a hold of God. Are you with me this morning? Stop worrying about what other people do and be persistent yourself. And if you pray, God will hear an answer. Pentecost. I want to talk about this uh, kind of briefly this morning. I've been thinking about the root of Pentecost. Two weeks from today is Pentecost Sunday in our state Youth and Discipleship Director, Bishop David White, will be with us. And he's going to be sharing an entire message on Pentecost. So for this morning, I want to just share a couple of thoughts with you and make a couple of statements. First of all, number one, God can accomplish more than we can. What do you mean by that? I mean the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, can accomplish more in five minutes than we can in 55 minutes. Are you with me? This morning, I didn't preach this entire message because the Holy Spirit just fell on this place and took over. I gave them some highlights uh, after we got into an altar. We got into an altar service before I ever even opened this part up. Why? Because God can accomplish more than we can. The Holy Spirit can accomplish more than we can. And listen, uh, the Word tells us it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. And if we want to boldly, uh, if we want to see a body that sees changes in people's lives, we have to allow God to do that. That's accomplished by His Spirit. And you've never seen a more dramatic move of the Holy Spirit than on the day of Pentecost. I want to tell you that one outpouring changed the world. And it continues to do so today. I'm rooted in that. Number two, about Pentecost. We're going to get a whole message in a couple weeks. So today, just a couple thoughts. Number two, it's in the Word. It's in the Word. You can't take it out. You may come from a denomination or a background that doesn't understand it, doesn't believe it, hasn't experienced it. You still can't take it out of the Word. 
It's in the Word. And I'm not willing to give up any part of God's Word. If it's in here, it's real and it's for me. And I don't even have to understand how all of it works. I just need to by faith believe that if Jesus told his disciples that they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then one of his current uh, disciples today, I need to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Whether I'm completely comfortable with it or not, that's not really the question. What is the question? Do you want? The Holy Spirit spoke in the first service this morning and said, How much do you desire of me? Ask yourself that question this morning. How much of the Lord do you desire? Number three, if I have to wade through the fake to get to the real, then so be it. Let me see if I can help somebody this morning. Somebody says, I've seen a lot of fake in that stuff. Um, I'm thankful that I had a pastor when I first got filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that that said something that I, I will always remember. He said many times from the pulpit where there is the real, there will always be a counterfeit. Are you with me this morning? So I'm going to say that again. If I have to wade through the fake to get to the real, then so be it. Why, Pastor? Because the real is worth it. I said the real is worth it. I want you to imagine this scenario with me. Let's say this morning that I say that there are, I'm going to throw out in this altar up here, 500 diamonds. I got y'all's attention there. 500 diamonds, I'm going to scatter them across the floor up here. And if you'll wade through, 499 of them are cubic zirconias. And one of them is, an, is a genuine, authentic diamond, and it's worth $1 million. All I would have to do is let those words come out of my mouth, scatter those diamonds, and you all would be like birds flocking to come get the seed that was just scattered, right? And you, what would you do? You would wade through. Are you with me this morning? You'd go if you knew what a real diamond looked like, you'd go pulling that through every cubic zirconia, tossing it to the side, getting rid of it, looking for the authentic thing. Why? Because the real is worth it. I want to tell you something up in this Pentecostal church this morning. In this world that we have, that we live in, in this thing called church, there's always going to be the counterfeit. But I can testify to you this morning, if you get a hold of the real thing, you'll be able to overlook and discard the counterfeits and go right on. Why? Because the real is worth it. I said the real is worth it. It's valuable to your walk with Christ. Listen, you wouldn't be disillusioned. You wouldn't be deterred. You wouldn't be frustrated. You'd be willing to go through and find that diamond. So I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and I don't mean to be offensive, but it's the truth. With all the fakes, the weirdos. Anybody ever just met what I call a spiritual weirdo? The weirdos, the freaks, the mistakes, and all the challenges that being a Pentecostal church sometimes brings with it. The real, genuine article is worth it. But I want to tell you, sometimes it requires some digging. You've got to dig through. Till you find the worth yourself. Number four, church and life with the Spirit is far more enjoyable than church without the Spirit. Let me say that again. Church and life in general with the Spirit is far more enjoyable than church without the Spirit. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to blow some of y'all's minds. If you don't believe that, I'm going to give you my permission to go visit somewhere else that's not Spirit-filled next week. Go ahead. 
examine, go sit through a service and come back and tell me. I mean, I've had people tell me before. I had to go here or there, and I thought, anybody ever been in a church service where you couldn't hardly hold your eyes open? And then you left after church, and you're like, what did that guy talk about? If some of y'all are doing that today, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But you've left, and you go home, and you sit down at dinner, and you think, he talked about 25 topics, and I can't remember exactly where he was going. Was there a direction? Was there a center point? Was there anything that we needed to glean from that? You ever left a service like that? That's church without the Spirit. Are you with me this morning? But when the Spirit of the Lord is in the midst, uh, church and life in general is more enjoyable. Number five, and I love this this morning. They can go ahead and come to the music. Number five, they didn't know when they planned the worship set. They didn't, Pastor Nicholas did not see my notes. He didn't know my scripture. He didn't know anything. But this was point number five in my notes. Pentecost is our only hope of freedom and for changing our community. Pentecost is our only hope for freedom and changing our community. And I can prove this to you with two simple statements from the Word of God. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. They sang about it this morning. I'm going to read you the passage. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Pentecost is our only hope of freedom for changing our community. And at the end of Acts chapter 2 comes verse 47. 3,000 people had already been saved as a result of Pentecost. And then in verse 47, after it states they were rooted in praise, we read these words. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can I tell you this morning? You can, you can read through scripture. And before Pentecost, there was no change. In the world around them. Did you notice that? Before Pentecost, there was no change in the world around them. But after Pentecost, the Bible said 120 were gathered together in the upper room. They were tearing and they were praying. And the word said, suddenly, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind began to fill the house where they were sitting. And they were all, say all, filled with the Holy Spirit and began it said, cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And after Pentecost, folks were being added daily. On the day of Pentecost, for those of you that don't like a big church, boom, 3,000 people. Day of Pentecost. No, by 120 to 3,000. Turn around. They're so large, they don't even have a facility big enough for them all to worship together. So they go about, the Bible says, from house to house, breaking bread, having fellowship, praying. And then by, by chapter 5, 5,000. And that church just kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. I want to tell you something this morning that the Lord spoke to me as I was driving to and from Lexington a few weeks ago to a state music board meeting. I was praying about a situation on the way home and, and I heard the Lord speak and I'm not a pastor that tells you very often that I hear the Lord speak something to me. I don't tell you that if I don't feel like I heard the Lord speak it. And the Lord spoke something to me that, Pastor Todd, I kind of shook my head. I was like, I know I just heard the Lord say that, but the Lord has never said words like that to me before. What is the Lord saying? The Lord said, be flexible. He said, tell the staff and the council to be flexible. 
And so this morning in the first service, he told me to tell this body to be flexible. And I thought, what does that mean? And all of a sudden, God, I was driving. I couldn't open my Bible and read. But just almost word for word, God began opening up the scripture to me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 18. Uh, and, and beginning with verse 1. Now the word came to Jeremiah uh, saying from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. The Lord's words, he said. And then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel, watch this, that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. I come to tell you this morning, your vessel may be marred. You may feel like you're worthless and not worth anything. But if you'll place yourself in the hands of the potter, and if you'll be flexible, God will make you and mold you and shape you into something that God wants you to be. Then he goes on to say, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O oh, house of Israel, every time that you see Israel talked about in the Old Testament, nine times out of ten, it's a type and shadow of the church. And he said, O oh, house of Israel, can I do with you as this potter, church, can I do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look at the clay in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand. The instant I speak, I love this, concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck them up or pull them down. And he says, I'm going to do that. And then on down he says, and in the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build them up and to plant it. God began to speak to me and he said, it's my church. It's my church. Let me do what I want to do. With my church. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about prayer and I'm talking about Pentecost. And sometimes when the power of God begins to move in a church, we have to take a step back. Like I did this morning, and I said, okay, God, if you don't want me to preach, I won't preach. We have to be flexible. Are you with me? We have to be pliable to what God wants to do. Why? Because it's not, don't get offended at me, this ain't your church. This ain't your church, and this ain't my church. This is God's church, and God will do what God wants to do in His church. And this church is going to continue to grow. I know that because God's already spoke it to me. And here's something else I know. Everybody won't go with you where God is taking you. Are you with me? Everybody won't go with you. I'm one of these people, I want everybody to go. But if everybody don't go, I can't help it. I've got to be flexible. It's still God's church. I can't change it to please somebody that I've got to change it to please them for them to stay. Because there's lost souls all around this community. And their life depends on getting to the gospel. Their life depends on the power of prayer and Pentecost. We must be flexible and let God do what only God can do in his church hallelujah hallelujah For you say in your heart, I don't completely understand. 
I've never experienced this for myself. But I say to you, if you will but try me, I will prove myself to you. If you will but try me, I will fill you with my Holy Spirit. You may not understand all things, but the Spirit will teach you and give you understanding. For my spirit is to all of my people, says the Lord. And it is my desire to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It is my desire to make this house a place whereby souls are sanctified, saved, delivered, set free and healed. Give me this house as clay in my hand. And I will make it and mold it into a beautiful vessel for my kingdom. I say to you, my people... Be flexible and let me do with you that that I will. For if you do, you shall see me in my fullness, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift your hands all over this room. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning for the speaking of your spirit. We thank you for your presence. Hallelujah. Now, somebody says, I don't understand what just happened. That's the gift of tongues and interpretation. And the Lord is speaking this morning. And I understand that everybody doesn't understand. As a matter of fact, I'm going to close with this. And we're going to open uh, this altar. But we either, here's the bottom line. We either want to be a church that produces freedom and change in the lives of people. Or we don't. It's that simple. And if that's our desire, then it requires that we have the power of Pentecost operating in our church and in our lives. And if you'll stand with me all over the room, I'm literally going to close with this. There are two kinds of people in this church today. There's group A. And group A people grew up around Pentecost. And many group A, if, if you've been, if you grew up around Pentecost your entire life, let me see your hands. And I realize there's some folks, thank you. I realize there's some folks here this morning that have to get to the arena for graduation. Corbin's graduation is today at 2, and they have to be there at 1. So if you have to go, by all means, go ahead and go. But there's group A, people that grew up around Pentecost. And you know what? A lot of times, those people become accustomed to it to the point that many times we ignore it. We overlook it. We marginalize it. Or sometimes we even underestimate it. And it's become nothing more than a few goosebumps every once in a while or a grading system to how we judge the greatness of a service are you with me this morning we don't really utilize or tap into the power supply except during the songs that we like at church uh huh are you with me I want to tell you something this morning. If you have to be up on stage leading worship to worship, then your worship's not authentic. If you have to have a certain style of music or a certain song or a certain beat to get into worship, then your worship is not authentic. Are you with me this morning? Uh, we overlook it many times. We marginalize it. And we want to use it as a grading system by which we judge how good a service is. But can I tell you, we need to be flexible. God is God. Sometimes we'll have services, and I pray we do, where you dance, shout, and run the aisles. But then there may be other services that we have that God does something entirely different. But at the conclusion, the altar's opened. People give their heart and life to Jesus. That's the number one thing. That's what it's all about. But then there's group B. We just identified group A. So if you're group B, you weren't raised in Pentecost. Let me see your hands. All over the place. I was one of those. I was group B. I wasn't raised around it and hadn't experienced it and a lot of times as 
as that group of people, we, we're scared of it. We don't understand it. We're skeptical of it because we, we know some of the people in group A, right? And so we're not so sure that we need what they got. But let me see if I can help you this morning. I grew up in group B. Group A had their own thing going on, and I had never experienced it, and I really wasn't convinced that it was real. And I have to admit, I really thought, and I'm, I'm almost done, I really thought it was unnecessary. But I'll never forget the night that I said. Because, see, I, I started going to a Pentecostal church when I was 16 because there was some pretty girls at that Pentecostal church. And so I sought out where the pretty girls was. So you can worship Jesus and hunt for a pretty girl at the same time. I can testify. <laughs> But I thought it was unnecessary. I didn't know about all that stuff. But I'll never forget the night that I sat down after going there several months. I sat down on the left-hand side of the church on the front pew after praying in the altar. I've been saved since I was nine years old. Seven years I've been saved. And I said, God, I'll never forget this. I said, God, if this is really real, and it's really you, and you really want me to have it, then give it to me. And I want to tell you this morning, that was all it took. I had both my hands under the front of that pew, holding on to it. And as I was speaking in tongues, I was going like this right here. Had that pew not been bolted to the floor, it would have probably ended up somewhere up front in the altar with me on it. Now, you may not act that way. You may not act that way when the Holy Ghost gets on you. But let me tell you something this morning. You may say, I don't really understand it. You may say it's not really necessary. You may say, I don't know that I want to be a part of group A, but here's what I'll say to you this morning. Just take this preacher at his word and go come to God and say, God, if it's really real and it's really you and you really want me to have it, then give it to me. Because I want to tell you something this morning. Uh, nobody had to say, and I don't believe in this foolishness. You've got a pastor. I want to tell you this morning. I love the, the authentic power of God, but I ain't about no foolishness. I'm not. I'm not about a bunch of hype and a bunch of foolishness, but I'm about the genuine, authentic power of the Holy Ghost. Are you with me this morning? And I, and, and I remember uh, when that happened, nobody had to get around me and say, repeat after me. That's foolishness. Can I get an amen? You don't need to get around somebody and say, repeat after me. That's not how God fills you with His Spirit. Nobody had to smack on my, whoops, I hit my mic. Nobody had to smack on my cheeks and say, say this and all that stuff that people do. No, but God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I want to tell you something. My walk with Jesus, though that those that know me can testify, my walk with Jesus has never been the same. I have a heavenly prayer language that the devil cannot understand. Do you know how valuable that is? He don't drive him crazy when my heart is overwhelmed and I go to my prayer closet and the Holy Ghost begins to speak and pray through me he don't even know he's like I don't even know how to fight this I don't even know what he's saying after my day of Pentecost experience let me tell you what I did though I went back to high school and my witness was much bolder than before I experienced Acts 1 and 8 but you will receive power after that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The, altar, the invitation is this simple this morning. The church has a lot of group A. Group A need to be reminded there's a purpose for this power. Did you hear me? It's not just to evaluate how good a service was or to come get your shout and dance on and go on about your business. 
The purpose of the power is to be witnesses when you leave this place. We need to be reminded of that. And Pentecost is real and it's essential if we're going to bring freedom and change to people. But there's also a lot of folks in group B. And I challenge you and those in group B, go home and read Acts again. Read the entire book. We're studying it on Wednesday night in my class. Examine the scripture and see if you don't have a promise in there that's a free gift from God. It's your inheritance. And allow God to create a hunger in it for you. And I'm going to close with this. And they're going to sing and we're going to open this altar. And I want group A and group B, as many that will, join me in prayer this morning. But I want to tell you, the Holy Ghost is not scary. It's not freaky. It's not crazy. If you ever experience it for yourself, you'll come back and tell me, Pastor, you were right. You don't, I don't, I'm not saying you have to be comfortable with it this morning, but I am saying you don't have to be afraid. And if you'll just come and say, God, if this is really you, and it's really real, and you really want me to have it, then give it to me. Because if we want to see God do what He wants to do in this church, we must remain rooted to prayer.